Our text this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, and verse 35. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Let us pray. O Heavenly Father, Thy Word is perfect, restoring the soul, making wise the simple, and enlightening the eyes of the blind, the power of God unto salvation for everyone that believes. We, however, are by nature blind and incapable of doing anything good. And Thou wilt relieve only those who have a broken and contrite heart and who revere Thy Word. We entreat Thee that Thou wouldst illumine our darkened minds with Thy Holy Spirit and give to us a humble heart, free from all haughtiness and carnal wisdom, in order that we, hearing Thy Word, may rightly understand it and regulate our lives accordingly. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to begin by quoting our Heidelberg Catechism, Questions 15 through 17. Question 15, what sort of mediator and deliverer then must we seek for? Answer, for one who is very man and perfectly righteous and yet more powerful than all creatures, that is, one who is also very God. Question 16, why must he be very man and also perfectly righteous? Answer, because the justice of God requires that the same human nature with it which hath sinned should likewise make satisfaction for sin, and one who is himself a sinner cannot satisfy for others. Question 17. Why must he in one person be also very God? Answer. That he might, by the power of his Godhead, sustain in his human nature the burden of God's wrath and might obtain for and restore to us righteousness and life. In these questions, our beloved catechism deals with the issue of what type of redeemer God's elect need. The heart of these answers is that in order for anyone to be saved, we need a Savior who is both God and man. He must be man because it is man who is the sinner that needs to be saved. God will not punish another creature for the sin man has committed. But he must also be God because only God is powerful enough to do what is required. Man owes a debt he cannot pay, and so God paid the debt he did not owe. The second person of the Blessed Trinity assumed into personal union a true human nature in order to be the mediator God's elect need. You see, God made all creatures with specific natures and roles to play in His creation. Angels fulfill a certain role. Humans fulfill a certain role. Lions, tigers, and bears fulfill a certain role. In God's economy, man had a certain role which he violated when he fell into sin. Since it is man who fell, whatever must be done to rectify the indignity done to God... Man must be the one to do it. No animal can satisfy since they are all lower than man in dignity. No angel can satisfy because angels serve a different purpose in creation. And being mediator between God and man is not it. Angels are not mediators. Two things are required for our salvation. One, a full satisfaction must be offered to God for the sins of His people. And secondly, they must live a life 
of perfect obedience to His holy law. Both are impossible for man since the fall of our first parents in Eden. Let's imagine for a second the impossible. Let's say that somehow you could magically cease from this day forth from committing any sin. What good would that do for the sins you've already committed up to this point? If I maxed out my Menards card, I could still buy things there if I paid cash. But all the cash payments in the world won't do anything, will not lessen the pre-existing debt. We are all born into this world in a bottomless pit of debt to God. We have neither the wherewithal nor the desire to repay this debt. God does require perfect obedience, but that in fact is only half the equation. The other half is the satisfaction God deserves for mankind having broken His law. The great Anselm of Canterbury presents an interesting and enlightening hypothetical scenario. He asks, if you found yourself in the sight of God and someone said to you, look over there. And God, on the other hand, should say, it is not my will that you look over there. Ask your own heart if there is anything in all of existence which would make it right for you to give that look contrary to the will of God. I think it's safe to say that we could all easily say that nothing in the world could make it right to disobey God's direct command. Anselm continues, what if it were necessary that the whole universe except God Himself should perish and fall back into nothing, or else that you should do a small thing against the will of God? Then this act, which seemed insignificant in itself, when viewed as contrary to God's will, has become the worst deed imaginable. This is precisely mankind's case. In the fall of Adam, we all gave the look, God forbade. It is contrary to God's honor to be reconciled to mankind while this reproach stands unresolved. Mankind still owes God the perfect obedience required of Adam before the fall. But mankind is no longer capable of this because he is conceived and born in sin. Our plight is twofold. Our sinful nature makes us unable to render to God the obedience God demands, and we stand under the just wrath of God for this violation. By the righteous judgment of God, we all deserve temporal and eternal punishment. God is just. His justice must be satisfied. We cannot make this satisfaction since we daily increase our debt of sin to God. All creatures owe unfailing loyalty and perfect obedience to God. Mankind lost this ability in the fall. God's justice requires that He recover His right. A sinner cannot do what God's justice requires to be done. Only God can do what man needs. But that serves no purpose since God is the offended party. Man must pay what only God can afford. God cannot pay the debt owed to Himself. This is surely the mother of all quandaries and an enigma that only the mind of God can unravel. Enter Jesus Christ, very God and very man, two natures united in one divine person. The great mystery of Christmas is that Jesus is both fully God and fully man. 
God will not punish another creature for mankind's sin, and no mere creature could endure the burden of God's wrath against sin. In order to be saved, we need a Savior who is fully man, since man violated God's law by sin. Moreover, this, sinner, this Savior must be perfectly righteous. Since the fall, no mere man has ever been perfectly righteous. We are all born sinners. Further, this Savior must be God, since only as God can He sustain in His human nature the burden of God's wrath against sin. It is only as our Savior that He covers our sins and bears God's wrath for us. And it is only as our Savior that He gives us the gift of His own righteousness, counted as ours, to make us right again in the sight of God. This is truly a mystery and a miracle worth celebrating. This is the true meaning of Christmas. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now our sermon text expresses in the space of a few words the mystery of the person of Christ as fully man and fully God. Not only is there an eternally generated Son of God who will be united to a human nature in Mary's womb, but also, that holy thing which will be born of her shall be called the Son of God. In both His human nature and in His divine nature, Jesus is the Son of God, and yet there are not two sons of God. This means that the human nature and the divine nature are united in one divine person. This is the true Christian faith that was preached by the apostles, the true Christian faith expressed in all the creeds and catechisms and confessions of the church, and the true Christian faith for which many of our forefathers suffered persecution and even death. Let us pray. Blessing and honor and glory and power be to Him that sitteth upon the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. O Lord God of our salvation, Thou hast remembered us in our lowest state out of that mercy of thine which endures forever. Thou hast raised up a great salvation and a mighty deliverance for us to heal the sinful, to help the miserable, and to save that which was lost. No one but thy blessed self, O Lord, the gracious giver, knows the greatness of that gift which thou hast conferred upon us, the greatest that thou could give or man receive, in giving thy only Son to be our almighty Savior, to deliver us from the eternal miseries of hell, and to make us meet to be partakers of the heavenly inheritance of thy saints in light. Oh, how wonderful have been the designs of thy love and the counsels of thy wisdom to recover our poor lost souls and to work for them a salvation worthy of God, that God should be manifested in the flesh to destroy the works of the devil, and that the eternally beloved of thy soul should be made son of man to make us sinful men the children of God. Oh, what manner of love has the Father bestowed upon us, exceeding all that we are able to say of it. Oh, that we and all men may praise thee, Lord, for thy goodness and such wonderful works to the children of men, that we may ever with all admiration and reverence and thankfulness receive and ponder this great mystery of godliness, and that may we, we may return the glory of salvation up to thee who has sent the joy of salvation down to us, that our souls may magnify the Lord and our spirits rejoice in God our Savior and be the blessed Lord God of Israel that has so visited and redeemed his people. And now that thou hast laid help upon one that is mighty and found a ransom for us and has made the all-sufficient provision to save us, O oh, help us, 
Lord our God, as we ought, to entertain and welcome the joyful news that Jesus Christ has come into the world to save sinners. Father of mercies, prepare us for the blessed Savior which Thou hast prepared for us, that He who came into the world in the fullness of time may come into our souls with the fullness of His grace and with all the blessings and consolations of His coming, and that as He was miraculously formed in the virgin's womb, may He be spiritually formed in our hearts. O thou great God and lover of our souls, remember our souls in mercy with the favor which thou bearest to thy people and visit us with the joy of thy salvation. O make the way of our salvation plain before us that we may know where our help lies and what we must do to be saved. And incline and quicken us, O Lord, with all readiness to take that way and to embrace that grace of God which brings salvation and to comply with the gracious designs of thy mercy, to do to us the greatest good, and to make us forever happy. O blessed Savior, be thou an effectual Savior to us, and save us from the wrath to come. So redeem us here from all iniquity, and hereafter thou may redeem us from everlasting misery. Thou camest down to earth to raise us up to heaven. Thou tookest on our nature to make us partakers of thine. O may we experience the mighty power of thy salvation upon us, to heal our depraved natures, to sanctify our sinful souls, and to make us such lovers and followers of thy holy ways that we may have in us, Christ, the hope of glory and those good things of thy spirit which do accompany salvation. And for all the great and strange things which thou hast graciously done for us in revealing thy salvation and in opening, opening the doors of hope to us and putting us in the way to that blissful end of our faith, the eternal salvation of our souls which thou hast prepared for us, Unto Thee, O blessed God, our Savior, in the unity of the ever-glorious Trinity, be all thanks and praise and honor and glory rendered by us and all Thy church now and forevermore.